good morning to the National Capital Bible Church. And uh, as Hal says, we will have a special speaker next week. It sort of arose on Friday, and we'll talk just a little bit more about that. Scott Craig will help me with this introduction, but it will be an exciting next service next week with a friend that I met two years ago and had a chance to walk to speak with him periodically over the past couple of years. So, looking forward to that, and I think you will also. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. It's a wonderful promise that we have from the Lord as he speaks to, to Martha. He is the resurrection We know other religions that have leaders, but they have died. But our, our Christ is alive. He is our Redeemer. And it is a wonderful promise that we know that we shall see him again in our eternal life. Let's take a few seconds closing our eyes and bowing our heads. And then I will begin us in prayer. Dearly Father, we're thankful for the remarkable opportunities that we have to come together in this church, in our family church. We're thankful, Father, that you have provided for us the Word of God that provides us with messages that help us to uh, learn more about you. And while we learn more of us about you, we praise you and we're thankful for who you are. We're thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, who has given his life on the cross, preparing for our spiritual life, beginning in believing in his faith, in his Uh, his work on the cross. We pray, Father, that we will continue to learn more about you. We will continue to be thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ's work, his finished work on the cross for us. And we simply have eternal life by believing in his work for us. We ask for your blessing upon our service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Part of our worship service includes our opportunity to worship the Lord in giving. We have uh, often mentioned this, but it's one of our opportunities to express our love to the Lord. The Apostle Paul teaches us about giving. And in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 7, he says, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows generously will also reap generously. Each one of you should give, just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, nor under compulsion. Because God loves a willing, Christian, Christful, uh, gracious giver. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this opportunity. It's truly 
an expression of love. And we're thankful the way that you bless us, Father. We may express that blessing through giving. We ask for your blessing upon our gifts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we begin the service, I mentioned that we do have a special speaker next week. And this really all came together on Friday and uh, Scott did some research for me, and I'm going to ask him to come and present a little more information about this individual. But before he comes, let me just say a few words here, saying that in April uh, 2019, I was able to travel to Israel. I was invited to participate in a Christian leadership seminar at Israel's Yad Vashem, which is their Holocaust Museum. And that's where it was held. I was there for probably about 10 days, and it was an opportunity for them to teach us about the Holocaust events that occurred. And it was truly a wonderful opportunity. It was for Christian leaderships because they were hoping that we would have the opportunity to present our church's uh, information about what had occurred during the Holocaust. Now, one of the reasons that it's occurring now is that on the 27th this week, Thursday, 27 January, is Holocaust Remembrance Day here in America. And on Friday, I had a chance to listen to a gentleman by the name of Mark Jenkins speak about this. It reminded me that I knew him, that I had met him on that trip, and I've spoken to him a couple times since then. And just on an opportunity, I called him and asked him if he would be available to come speaking to our church. And he said he'd love to. He said, when would you like for me to arrive? And I said, well, how about Sunday the 30th of this this month? And he says, ooh. He said, I usually have a pretty uh, full month calendar. He says, let me see. <laughs> and he says, it's remarkable that I'm available on the 30th Sunday. So I asked him to drive up to us. He lives down by Richmond, and he plans on joining us on this uh, coming Sunday. One of the reasons that we're taking a little more time introducing both Mark and Terry Jenkins is that I would in, uh, certainly uh, invite you to be here next Sunday, invite friends that would be interested in this, or those who don't have an interest, bring them anyhow. But it's an opportunity for us to have someone speak to us. He's a friend, but he loves to talk about about Israel, about the relationship that America has with Israel. And of course, it's a blessing for us as well, because we understand that we are told that those 
who bless Israel will also be blessed. And therefore, it's important for us to continue to remember who Israel is, and we should have a relationship with them, which brings a blessing to us. Israel is God's nation, even though they are not devoted to him right now, but that doesn't mean that we're part of any of the conflicts that they have. We continue to pray for them and hope that the gospel will continue to be found with them and that many of them will believe. Our call for worship today is in Psalm 13. This is a psalm that is written by David, and it's only six verses, but it's it has three parts. And this psalm is called a lament, but what it does tells us is that God cares for us, and God, even during challenges, problems for us, God is there, and we are going to encounter difficulties, adversities. Verse 1, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Now, the word here, how long, is until when, is possibly a better way to understand this, is until when, O Lord, will you forget me or ignore me forever? I love that translation, but I'm going to stay with how long because David's going to use that phrase four times. So we begin, how long, o, uh, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? In other words, will you not pay attention to me? Verse 2, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? My counsel here is my worry, my anxiety. Why should I continue this? And then he says, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? And we may not think we have an enemy, but we do have one, and that's, the, uh, that's Satan and the cosmic system. And so every day we face problems, adversities. And so this is applied to us. Verse 3, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes. In other words, help me to understand who you are and what you're doing for us. Lest I sleep, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved, when I stagger or fall. And so uh, he's, David's it's expressing the problems, the challenges that he has every day. And then in verse 5 and 6, and you can see that we have three different sections here. And 5 and 6 is the last part is that we should not be despaired, but have hope. Verse 5, But I have trust in your mercy. This is chesed, and it means his his love. 
for I have trusted in your love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation, your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He has provided for us. All right. I enjoy these psalms because I think they are a way for comfort and encouragement to us. David was a human. He encountered many difficulties. We do as well. And he expresses his problems to the Lord, knowing fully well that God provides for us and he loves us and he is part of our lives. All right. Let's now turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We are very close, hopefully today, the end of chapter 7 in 1 Corinthians. This is a lengthy chapter, but it has a great deal of information for us that Paul uh, teaches us. And in the last five verses that we have here, Psalm 7, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 7, 36 through 40. Let me give you a bit of an introduction here before we read 36 through 40. As Paul continues his subject about marriage in chapter 7, he wants to clarify his recommendations to those who are single, those who are married, and to those approaching marriage. Paul's guidance is given during a time of persecution and social turbulence. Paul knows that marriage is a divine institution and therefore important for human relationships. However, Paul also knows that marriage must be done at the right time. For Paul, remaining single was the best for him. He recommends that others, both men and women, consider the same situation. So this is not just for men, but it's for men and for women. However, Paul is comparing two remarkable conditions that both honor God, godly marriage and godly service to the Lord. Paul is not discouraging marriage, but knows that some might be better able to serve the Lord in a situation of being single, as he says himself. So we must understand that marriage is not something that is wrong. Paul simply has a recommend for us. All right. Now, this passage verses 36 through 40, begins with a very difficult verse. And that verse, verse 36, well, I'm going to read through the entire, these all four of these five verses. But I think that where we're going to spend most of our time is in verse 36. Verse 36. But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly towards his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. 
he does not sin, let them marry. Now, I challenge almost anybody to try to determine exactly what Paul is saying there, but we're going to address this. Verse 37 is not all that much better, but 37. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own, his own will, and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin does well. I'm going to read this again because there's four parts of this. And the word here for nevertheless could probably just be understood as but because it's a contrast. But he, first of all, who stands steadfast in his heart, secondly, secondly, having no necessity, three, and has power over his own will, self-control, four, and has so determined in his heart that he will make, that he will keep his virgin, does well. So verse 37 is a tough verse as well. 30, 36 and 37. And then verse 38, he says, so then, then he who gives, gives her in marriage. In other words, a better way. So then he who marries does well, but he who does married also does not married also does better. So he makes that contract there in verse 38. 39. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Verse 40. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. All right. Let me begin us here in verse 36, which, again, I believe is a challenge for us. In verses 36 through 38, we must clarify verse 36, or the three verses are going to be confusing. So that verse is important. Paul was giving guidance to a man towards his betrothed, or we would say today his fiance. That's the subject. And there is another translation that kind of drifts us in another direction. 36 again. But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly towards his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. All right, I'm going to give you a couple translations here that I think help us. First of all, if anyone is worried that he might not be acting honestly towards the virgin he is engaged to. In other words, he's betrothed here. And if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do so. In other words, and by the way, this is a an imperative. So he must do as he wants. He's not sinning. He should or he must get married. Another way to approach this, but make it even shorter. 
But if a man thinks that he is treating his fiancée improperly and will inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes. It is not a sin. And so this is the man treating his fiancée properly. All right. Let me work a little bit here on this this uh, verse. The translation is difficult because the second clause, if she is passed, could be masculine or feminine. And therefore, the interpretation could be the man or woman as the subject. Many of the translations translated as she. I believe the context tells us that Paul is speaking about the man, his passion and his desire to marry. The topic is not about the woman being past the flower of youth. None of those words, past, flower, or youth, are found in the text. That is an interpretation that tries to describe the woman. Paul is speaking to the man who has a decision to make. The age of the woman is not involved. The New American Standard Bible refers to a father and his daughter, and that misses, I believe, misses the mark completely. The word daughter is not there. So those of you who are have the New American Standard Bible, it's an excellent translation, but here it's a problem. And not only is that translation difficult, but we also have the same difficulty in the New King James Version because there's a decision made by those who edited this say that it's a she. And Paul is not discussing that in this context. He's talking to the woman. And so to bring she in here uh, causes us a problem. First of all, the word virgin in the context is we would call the betrothal or the fiancé. So the virgin in the context, this is a reference to a betrothed or today fiancé. Secondly, not behaving properly. What this means is that the man or the fiancé is having difficulty to control his passions. That's the problem here. They're having a hard time, what, what might we say, keep our hands to ourselves. Three, the phrase, if she is past the flower of youth, we need to come up with a different translation. We could say, and this is still fairly wooden, we would say, if he is past the critical point, and the critical point here is his ability to hold his passions. Another way of understanding this is if his passions are too strong. In the Greek text, the person can be masculine or feminine. The context is better to continue with the masculine as the subject, not the fiancé. 
Again, past a flower is not a translation, but an in, interpretation. And that's what we find in many of the versions. And the versions. Four, if the fiancé wants to marry, if, uh, let's just say if the man, if the man wants to marry, then he must marry his fiancé. Paul uses an imperance, an imperance here, an imperative. So he says, if you're passionate about this, marry. Five, previously, Paul said it was better not to marry, if possible. Why? He gave a couple uh, reasons. If the current, because of the current persecutions and because of marital responsibilities. Six, Paul again ensures men and women that marrying is not wrong. It's not a sin. It's part of the divine incitations. Seven, if the man and woman desire, if they have a passion to marry, then Paul uses an imperative. You must marry. And so this is Paul giving an op, an, opportun, an opportunity to make a decision here. Now, 1 Corinthians seven thirty-seven. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will and has so de- determined in his heart, that he will keep his version does well. And again, trying to stay as literal as possible, we sometimes make uh, difficulties in the translations. So let's look at this. And remember, I said that if we look at, uh, if we understand this, we would say that first of all, or, well, let me just go to the first translation here. But, The man who has settled the matter in his own ranch, first of all, he's made up the decision in his his own mind. Secondly, who is no under compulsion. Secondly, and has control over his own will. And four, who has made up his mind not to marry the, the virgin, his betrothed. This man also does the right thing. So there is... In verse 36, if you have a desire to marry, marry. Here in verse 37, if you believe that that same passion doesn't appear, then he says, don't marry. Another way to look at this, a little bit shorter. But if he has decided firmly not to marry, and there is no urgency, and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. Now, you might say that this is common sense in either situation here. Yes, but probably uh, very often things get a little bit lost. Let's look at some points here for 37. First of all, in this verse, the man is not driven. He's not passionate to marry. And that may be a problem. Secondly, previous Previously, Paul has given reason for both men and women not to marry. So it's not only the man here. Third, 
This is not a man abandoning the woman at the altar, but having reasons not to marry. For, Paul says that the man is better to remain single. And that's what he expresses in verse 37. The opposite was true in 36. Five, once more, the New American Stand, uh, the New American Standard Bible addressing a father towards his daughter is not found in the context. It's a word that's not found in the text. But the, in, the editors have decided that they're, that they think that maybe we're talking about uh, a father addressing his daughter. But nowhere in chapter 7 is Paul talking about parents. He's talking about a man and a woman and their marriage. Verse 738, Psalm 738. So then, he who gives herself, gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. Now, we need to kind of work on this because the word here for marriage can probably be better translated simply, so, so then he who marries, who marries does well, but he who does not marriage does better. I think that's a better way to understand this. So another translation here. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. And so sometimes in these translations, it helps us to try to bring them into a better understanding of what the author, Paul, is trying to say. Another way, so the person who marries his fiance does well, but the person who doesn't marry his fiance does even better. That's what he's saying. So in 38, remember, Paul has reasons for not marrying at that time. He anticipates persecution and marital difficulties because of the historical situation. Secondly, we might not have the same reason that Paul provides, but we face other situations as well. This book, 1 Corinthians, is not only for the Corinthians. It's for us as well. And there are many different situations throughout the world. And sometimes we might say, well, I'm not so sure that some of this applies to me. Well, it may apply to the entire world, but not you. And other times it may reply just to you and no one else. But Paul is providing us, and God the Holy Spirit has provided it for us so we can apply it and we can understand it. So Paul is not opposed to marriage. It's a divine institution, but a total service to God. A service to God is better, is what he's saying. And then finally, today, we must not discard marriage, but realize that it is a very serious decision for us to make. All right, verse 39. In verse 39, we have really another paragraph. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, 
she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. All right. So, Paul here addresses the situation when a wife's husband dies. The condition is the same for the husband. But I believe Paul uses the example of a wife which gives her the same freedom as a man. At the time when Paul was was writing, the woman's situation was different than the husband. And so I think Paul says the husband and the wife are the same. But I'm going to use the woman as the example so that she doesn't, she's not neglected in this provision. All right. First of all, Paul's earlier counsel to widows was to remain single. In that previous context, Paul stated that those widows did not have self-control. Here, in verse 36, he's talking about a man who doesn't have control. So, in the previous context, which was verses 8 and 9 and verse 7, Paul stated that those widows did not have self-control. Therefore, they should marry, just like the man's direction is. Three, in this context, Paul implies that marriage should be long life, should be lifelong, lifelong, broken only by death. And so, as far as Paul was concerned, is that marriage is to be forever. For, here in verse 39, Paul states one constraint to the widow, to the widow. The remarriage must be to a believer in the Lord. That's who the husband should be. Must be a believer. Wonderful recommendation. But we have today problems where people make decisions the otherwise. Well, I don't think I gave you these other translations here for 39. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. He must be a believer. Or a woman is lawfully committed, just as a man is. A woman is lawfully committed to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she uh, wishes, but only if he is a believer in the Lord. So that those are wonderful recommendations for us. And by the way, that we would say that Paul makes it a mandate. All right. In Corinthians 7.40, Paul is going to finish his guidance here in verse chapter 7. 7.40. And he is a speaking, he is speaking now to the widow, the widow. But she is happier if she remains as she is according to my judgment, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. Now, let me say that I've known many who have married again. The topic here is the woman, but it could be for the man as well. That many have remarried after the mate has died, or she has died, and they've had a very happy time. But very often, 
those remarriages are difficult and very often they separate. Uh, I happen to know the very same thing to my grandmother. I'm not going to go into any of those, those th- that situation or any others. But Paul simply is saying, if you have lost your husband and you're happy, stay that way. And so that's what he's saying here in 40. Translations, yet in my judgment, she is happier, happier if she remi- remains as she is. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. Another way of ending that uh, chapter or that verse. But in my opinion, it would be better for her to stay single. And I think I'm giving you counsel from God's Spirit when I say this. So, Paul desires both the married and the single to be happy. Paul believes that a widow can choose another husband and find happiness. However, Paul adds that in his judgment, the widow would be happier if he remains single. Now, the widower should make that decision. Paul is making a recommendation, but this is certainly not a mandate should someone remarry. For the advice was not only from God's desire, but also his leading by God the Holy Spirit. So he says, I believe God the Holy Spirit is guiding me in this situation. So in summary, in these last verses, Paul summarizes what he has been teaching in chapter 7. Paul is not in any way opposed to marriage. In fact, he desires marriage with harmony. But he realizes that various distraction of li- uh, that various distractions of life can take us away from our devoted service to God. And that was Paul's desire is for us to be devoted to our service, our devotion to the Lord. So he, he desires for our devotion to the Lord. And so our application here is that Paul wants both single and married to realize the importance of devotions to God. Those who are married must support each other in their spiritual lives. If we're single, he believes we have an opportunity to devote ourselves to our service to God. Unfortunately, many of us who are single find other things to do instead of uh, devoting ourselves to our service to God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for chapter 7 and Paul's uh, devotion to marriage and how he sees this as an apostle and as he is filled by God the Holy Spirit. Father, it's important for us to, to read these passages and then applying it to us as God the Holy Spirit leads us. And Father, we're thankful for marriage and we're thankful for happiness can be found there but father we know that our happiness truly comes through our knowledge of you and we ask this in jesus name amen